Presumptive resulting trusts. These are transfers made by A to B, where the law creates a rebuttable presumption of a resulting trust applying if the intention is not made clear by A. Written evidence produced. For example, when A transfers property to B, unless the transfer was made by father to child or by husband to wife, in the absence of any other evidence the law presumes that a resulting trust has been created for A. Why this category excluded? For example a evidence cannot stand in course of testimony and remains hearsay it will not get the property of H and W and F and C can adduce evidence it is their property and resulting trust will not arise. The main categories of fact situations giving rise to a presumption of a resulting trust are, where A makes a voluntary conveyance of property to B, where A has made a monetary contribution to the purchase of property for B. From these cases it can be stated that where there is a voluntary transfer of property, the law presumes the recipient holds that property on resulting trust, until the property is transferred back to the original owner, unless the recipient can show a gift was intended. The presumptions are, however, easily rebutted. In Fawkes v. Pasco, evidence was shown that a woman had purchased stock in the names of herself and her grandson, evidence by the grandson and granddaughter-in-law that this had been done as a gift was admissible. On the other hand, the presumption is solely concerned with evidence of an intent to create a trust, ulterior motives to create a trust are not taken into account. In Tinsley v. Milligan, a woman transferred property to her business partner on trust in order to fraudulently claim social security payments, it was held that this did not defeat the presumption of a resulting trust. The fact that is being proved by the presumption of a resulting trust is the intention to create a trust for the settler. This view of presumed resulting trusts has been endorsed by Lord Brown Wilkinson and Westdeutsch Landesbank Gerosenthal v. Islington LBC. The presumption of resulting trust is rebutted by evidence of any intention inconsistent with such a trust, not only by evidence of an intention to make a gift. Some have argued that this presumption arises as a result of a lack of intention to transfer any beneficial interest. This view has generally not received judicial endorsement. Voluntary transfer of land. Despite the general onus of resulting trust where it is very much on the recipient to show there is intention of a gift, this presumption does not apply in the case of voluntary transfers of land. This is owing to the Law of Property Act 1925 Section 63, which states, 3. In a voluntary conveyance a resulting trust for the grantor shall not be implied merely by reason that the property is not expressed to be conveyed for the use or benefit of the grantee. Despite that, it was explained in Ali v. Khan Yuka Civil 974 that although LPA abolished the presumption of a resulting trust from the act of the transfer of land alone, it remained open to a court to consider extrinsic evidence to establish that a trust did in fact arise. Automatic Resulting Trusts In these trusts there is no mention of any expression of intention in any instrument, or of any presumption of a resulting trust, the resulting trust takes effect by operation of law, by law implied that property will revert to you and so appears to be automatic. Per Megary J. Ree Vandervelle's Trusts, Number 2. Automatic resulting trusts can arise when the settler tries to set up a trust for a third party, but there is an initial failure for want of objects, for example, by naming beneficiaries which cannot be defined, as in Morris v. Bishop of Durham, or when the objectives of the trust no longer become possible or relevant by the time of the transfer to the trustee, as in Ree Gillingham Bus Disaster Fund Chapter 300. Some academic commentators suggested that the automatic resulting trust will arise only where the property has been transferred to a trustee on an express trust so that the trustee has legal title to the property that can then be held on trust for the settler. 
However, it is uncertain whether this category of resulting trust can be explained by the presumption of an intention to declare a trust. The rationale for the recognition of the automatic resulting trusts where an express trust has failed remains controversial, quiz closed trust in particular. Twin Sector v. Yardley Settlers' Intention in Automatic Resulting Trusts When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. In relation to automatic resulting trusts, there is some difference in expressing the nature of the settler's intention. In Westowich, Lord Brown Wilkinson stated that a resulting trust arises due to a legal presumed intention to create a trust in favor of the settler. It has also been suggested that it is the fact of a lack of intention to benefit the recipient that creates the trust. This could be referred to as the chamber's model of intention. The settler intends to retain the beneficial interest in the property but transfers the legal title to someone else, for example, to let an active child manage the assets. The trust is implied by the settler's lack of intention to transfer any beneficial interest. Although in most cases the outcome would be the same, it is highly significant to differentiate between a positive intention to retain beneficial interest, and a lack of intention to benefit the transferee. It is often difficult to prove intention, but easier to prove the circumstances when a legal presumption will arise. It may be more or less easy to rebut a presumption than to disprove an intention. Lord Brown Wilkinson was afraid that this would create a floodgates problem, by giving every claimant a proprietary right in bankruptcy, making many more claimants secured creditors, and thus making the position of a secured creditor much less valuable. It is imperative to prove intention because equity will not assist a volunteer and is suspicious of gifts. Except under certain circumstances such as a parent and child or spouse. Constructive trust. A constructive trust is an equitable remedy imposed by a court to benefit a party that has been wrongfully deprived of its rights due to either a person obtaining or holding a legal property right which they should not possess due to unjust enrichment or interference, or due to a breach of fiduciary duty, which is intercausative with unjust enrichment and or property interference. It is a type of implied trust, for example, it is created by conduct, not explicitly by a settler. In the United States, in contrast to England, a constructive trust remedy generally does not recognize or create any continuing fiduciary relationship, that is, a constructive trust is not actually a trust except in name. Rather, it is a fiction declaring that the plaintiff has equitable title to the property at issue and ordering the defendant to transfer legal ownership and possession to the plaintiff. For instance, in some states the Slayer Rule is implemented in the form of a constructive trust. Definition Constructive trusts are imposed by operation of law. They are also referred to as implied trusts. They are not subject to formality requirements. Unlike a resulting trust, which also arises by operation of law, a constructive trust does not give effect to the imputed or presumed intention of the parties. Instead, constructive trusts are largely said to be triggered by unconscionability. This is the idea that a defendant would be unjustly enriched if they were allowed to keep property for themselves. The main issue with this argument is that we would have to have a really broad approach to unjust enrichment in order for a constructive trust to come under that underpinning concept in order for us to understand constructive trust. 
This statement is incoherent and without any basis in law or fact. Events generating constructive trusts. Breach of fiduciary duty. In a constructive trust the defendant breaches a duty owed to the plaintiff. The most common such breach is a breach of fiduciary duty, such as when an agent wrongfully obtains or holds property owned by a principal. A controversial example is the case of Attorney General for Hong Kong v. Reed, in which a senior prosecutor took bribes not to prosecute certain offenders. With the bribe money, he purchased property in New Zealand. His employer, the Attorney General, sought a declaration that the property was held on constructive trust for it, on the basis of breach of fiduciary duty. The Privy Council awarded a constructive trust. The case is different from Regal, Hastings, Limited v. Gulliver, because there was no interference with a profit-making opportunity that properly belonged to the prosecutor. Being a Privy Council decision, Reed did not overrule the previous decision of the Court of Appeal of England and Wales and Lister v. Stubbs which held the opposite, partially because a trust is a very strong remedy that gives proprietary rights to the claimant not enjoyed by the defendant's other creditors. In the event of the defendant's insolvency, the trust assets are untouchable by the general creditors. Supporters of Lister suggested that there was no good reason to put the victim of wrongdoing ahead of other creditors of the estate. There was a tension in English law between Lister and Reed which was highlighted in Sinclair Investments, UK, Limited v Versailles Trade Finance Limited. The United Kingdom Supreme Court subsequently overruled Sinclair and FHR European Ventures LLP v Cedar Capital Partners LLC holding that Lister was no longer a good law. Property Interference In Foskett v McEwen a trustee used trust money together with some of his own money to purchase a life insurance policy. Then he committed suicide. The insurance company paid out to his family. The defrauded beneficiaries of the trust sought a declaration that the proceeds were held on constructive trust for them. The House of Lords said that the beneficiaries could choose between either a. a constructive trust over the proceeds for the proportion of the life insurance payout purchased with their money, or b. an equitable lien over the fund for the repayment of that amount. There is controversy as to what the true basis is of this trust. The House of Lords said that it was to vindicate the plaintiff's original proprietary rights. However, this reasoning has been criticized as tautologous by some scholars who suggest the better basis is unjust enrichment, see below. This is because there must be a reason why a new property right is created, for example the trust, and that must be because otherwise the family would be unjustly enriched by receiving the proceeds of the insurance policy purchase with a beneficiary's money. Interference with a plaintiff's property can justify why the plaintiff can get its property back from a thief, but it cannot explain why new rights are generated in property for which the plaintiff's original property is swapped. In Foskett v. McEwen, the plaintiff's original property was an interest in the trust fund. The remedy they obtained was a constructive trust over an insurance payout. It is not obvious why such a new right should be awarded without saying it is to reverse the family's unjust enrichment. Unjust enrichment. In Chase Manhattan Bank Navi Israel British Bank, London, Limited one bank paid another bank a large sum of money by mistake, note that the recipient bank did not do anything wrong, it just received money not owed to it. Golding J held that the money was held on, constructive, trust for the first bank. The reasoning, in this case, has been doubted, and in West Deutschlandes Bank Barosentral v. Islington London Borough Council the House of Lords distanced itself from the idea that unjust enrichment raises trusts in the claimant's favor. This remains an area of intense controversy. These types of trusts are called institutional constructive trusts. They arise the moment the relevant conduct, breach of duty, 
unjust enrichment etc. occurs. They can be contrasted with remedial constructive trusts, which arise on the date of judgment as a remedy awarded by the court to do justice in the particular case. An example is the Australian case Muskinski v. Dodds. A de facto couple lived in a house owned by the man. They agreed to make improvements to the property by building a pottery shed for the woman to do arts and crafts work in. The woman paid for part of this. They then broke up. The high court held that the man held the property on constructive trust for himself and the woman in the proportions in which they had contributed to the improvements to the land. This trust did not arise the moment the woman commenced improvements, that conduct did not involve a breach of duty or an unjust enrichment etc. The trust arose at the date of judgment, to do justice in the case. In Bathurst City Council VPWC Properties, the High Court that is constructive trusts are the most severe remedy in cases of breach of fiduciary duty, they should only be imposed when other remedies are inappropriate in providing relief. Common Intention Constructive Trusts Common Intention Constructive Trusts consider the intention of the parties. This is significantly found in the familial context. For example, do the cohabitants have a beneficial interest in their home? Here, equity will follow the law. Following Stack v. Dowd and equity will look at the registered owner as a property and then distribute it in those proportions. For example, if the parties had joint legal ownership of a property, then there is a strong presumption that they have a beneficial interest. However, in most cases with the cohabitants, one person has legal title. In that case, the sole owner would be presumed to have sole beneficial ownership. This can be problematic in circumstances where the other cohabitant, the one who doesn't have title, does a lot to improve the property or just contributes to it in some way. This can, however, be rebutted if there was common intention to hold the property differently. In such cases, the courts will find a constructive trust in those proportions. Actual, inferred and imputed intention. If there is no evidence of actual intention, the courts will search for inferred or imputed intention. In Jones v. Kern at the Supreme Court inferred intention to the parties. Therefore, imputed intention involves a lot more judicial discretion, whereas inferred intention is still supposed to be based on the conduct between the parties. Joint venture. The focus here is the joint venture between the claimant and the defendant. For there to be a joint venture it would be unconscionable for the defendant to deny the other party's beneficial interest in the property. The three main requirements for a joint venture constructive trust are 1. An arrangement or understanding between the parties 2. Reliance on that arrangement or understanding and 3. An inconsistent act Vendor under a specifically enforceable contract for sale The seller holds land on a constructive trust for the purchaser. However, this is limited. In Rayner v. Preston the claimant had purchased a property from the defendant, but the house was then destroyed in the fire before they could move in. The defendant received a big payout from the insurance company and refused to give that money to the claimant. It was held that the claimant was not entitled to the payout because it was not the trust property, and because of the nature of the dispute, the trustee only had a low standard of care, particularly when you compare it to an express trustee. The purchaser also cannot transfer their beneficial interest before receiving legal title. Voluntary transactions made by mistake the court can set aside a gift or disposition where the transfer was made by mistake. The property must have been transferred by deed not an oral agreement. Usefulness of constructive trusts. For example, if the defendant steals $100,000 from the plaintiff and uses that money to buy a house, the court can trace the house back to the plaintiff's money and deem the house to be held in trust for the plaintiff. 
the defendant must then convey title to the house to the plaintiff, even if rising property values had appreciated the value of the house to $120,000 by the time the transaction occurred. If the value of the house had instead depreciated to $80,000, the plaintiff could demand a remedy at law, money damages equal to the amount stolen, instead of an equitable remedy. The situation would be different if the defendant had mixed his own property with that of the plaintiff, for example, adding $50,000 of his own money to the $100,000 stolen from the plaintiff and buying a $150,000 house or using plaintiff's $100,000 to add a room to the defendant's existing house. The constructive trust would still be available but in proportion to the contributions, not wholly in the claimant's favor. Alternatively, the claimant could elect for an equitable lien instead, which is like a mortgage over the asset to secure a repayment. Because a constructive trust is an equitable device, the defendant can raise all of the available equitable defenses against it, including unclean hands, laches, detrimental reliance, and undue hardship.